This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley's pasture-raised chicken sticks. I'm super excited to share Paleo Valley's brand new pasture-raised chicken sticks. These chicken sticks are made from 100% pasture-raised chicken and organic spices that are preserved using natural fermentation rather than preservatives. So yes, no fake stuff or additives here. These chicken sticks are sourced from regenerative family farms raised on American pastures and each stick is free of chemicals, antibiotics, pesticides, and added hormones. Paleo Valley's chicken sticks are a perfect snack packed with 7 grams of protein and frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.com slash nwj and use code nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks again for listening and supporting this podcast. And it's creating a imbalance in the ratio between estrogen and progesterone. And and so that ratio is getting further and further apart of too much estrogen, not enough progesterone. Estrogen, although it's a wonderful hormone for so many reasons in the female body, it is not necessarily real friendly if it doesn't have its checks and balances. And mainly that's progesterone. Because what will happen is... Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Judy Cho and I'm board certified in holistic nutrition. And I have a private practice where we focus on root cause healing. And that often starts with the carnivore cures, all meat elimination diet. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Jay Wrigley. He is a women's hormone specialist. We talk a lot about the basic understanding of how perimenopause, menopause, and how we use bioidenticals or not or adaptogens, and how to support the overall endocrine system. He goes into a lot of the details of how we can become estrogen dominant, how diet plays a role, what's up with progesterone, and how that affects thyroid function, and how maybe it might be safe to use bioidenticals. I'm still honestly on the fence of where I stand with bioidenticals, because there are so many things at play. But I am open to possibly using it as a band-aid temporarily until you find the root cause, root cause of why estrogen is imbalanced or progesterone or your thyroid hormones or even testosterone. What's the key thing is that you have to work with a trusted practitioner or doctor to make sure they know all the nuances of all the different hormones and the pathways and how certain things or hormone versions can convert to one another. And then if you do choose to go on to bioidenticals, understanding what are the risks and what are the benefits? I know that some people do feel better on bioidenticals. So support the diet. Did you support the fat levels? Did you support your lifestyle? And then maybe you start then, or maybe you start right away until you can get a handle on other things in your life. This is very individualized. And so I don't want to take a stance in terms of what you should be doing, but rather some thoughts that you can have around hormone health and hormone function, and then what you should do with this information and how you work with the provider is ultimately up to you. Let's get right into the conversation. Hi, Dr. J. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to talk about all things hormones and just natural health. If you can share... For the people listening and watching that may not know you, if you can introduce yourself. Sure. Thanks, Judy. It's good to meet you. Um, Been looking forward to this. 
I'm a medical doctor by trade. I'm also a functional medicine doctor. Um, I also hold a master's in biochemistry and have done quite extensive traveling, studying through uh, various parts of uh, mainly Southeast Asia to learn a lot about uh, kind of the blend of Eastern and Western medicine. And uh, my interest was in rooted in biochemistry. And when I, and so I, there was kind of a marrying of a, a beautiful marrying between biochemistry and hormonal chemistry. And that, you know, set me off on my career, which led to owning, starting a very big integrated healthcare clinic in Charlotte, North Carolina, that I ran and operated and hired many other practitioners to be there with me for 25 years. I began to daydream and and the daydreaming led to what if um, I could create for myself a bigger stage? What, what if I could work with people, uh, mainly females, all over the world and give them guidance of this somewhat rocky terrain that they often go through starting in anywhere from their mid to late 30s, uh, but certainly all the way through the 40s that we'll call perimenopause. And then at some point with the cessation of bleeding altogether for 12 months, that's when we, you know, we use the definition of that you this person is truly menopausal. Um, and that, there's a, about a 20 year period of time there that can be quite daunting for women. And there are there's a lot of lack of information. There's a lot of bad information and trying to pin your, you know, point fingers at where the problem is, you know, gets into a little bit of a, it's a road I don't like to go down to because some of it is physicians being lazy. They could take their, they could take the time to learn a little bit more about um, hormonal chemistry and what it takes in order to spot when one or two of them are out of balance and what's the best way to go about getting that back into balance and they're also quickly, you know, fast-paced and uh, you know, are usually working under the umbrella of some type of an organization that mandates that you need to see, you know, a patient every seven minutes all day long in order to reach quotas or whatnot. So patients don't get a lot of time with their doctor, uh, certainly not enough time to really feel heard and really get their questions answered and a lot of the times, not even a, a physician that has a toolbox that would be big enough to address some of the alternatives to how a woman might approach this part of her life without the most common therapies that we now see don't really do much of anything. You know, offering somebody who's menopausal an SSRI as a way to balance out serotonin to help help her feel less depressed or moody about the situation she's going through is, you know, at best, that's a big band-aid to maybe alleviate a little bit of symptoms for a period of time, but doing nothing to address the root cause of that issue whatsoever to the other therapies that are offered sometimes to women. And um, none of them to me are particularly uh, working at that ground level of trying to bring a woman back into a hormonal balance that she had. What I have done mainly over the last 30 years is to work in that arena. And my wheelhouse is 
how to navigate that change in hormonal landscape that a woman goes through to get her back to thriving and feeling great and most importantly deal with and and alleviate get rid of some of these symptoms that never needed to be there in the first place women do not need to experience you know long periods of time of disrupted sleep insomnia terrible mood swings hot flashes night sweats skin getting more dry hair getting more brittle and i could go on and on and on but those are not necessary to the experience those Mm -hmm. are those are telling you that something is out of balance right we go through perimenopause and then menopause but what is it we see so much nowadays that people are imbalanced with testosterone especially men even women too and we see that women are imbalanced with progesterone estrogen even before getting to perimenopause what do you think it is that is causing a lot of these hormonal imbalances, maybe some of the root cause that then you identify later for when people are going through that transition? Hey guys, just to let you know, my Carnivore Cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. Um, The list is long, Judy, but we'll start with some of the big ones. Okay. I guess first what needs to be happen is to lay out kind of the foundation of what, aside from maybe external influences and dietary influences and all this kind of stuff. So in a real, in a perfect world, what's happening is simple as this. A woman is somewhere in her early to mid 40s. There is a lot of this would also be affected by how many births this woman has given. Because the more times that you're pregnant, the more times that this is going to come on quicker, faster, harder. Uh, Let's say she's had somewhere between one and two babies. Okay. What happens first is that the ovaries that sit down at the top of your fallopian tubes on top of your uterus are beginning to let the body know that The idea of childbearing is not something that we are keen on or set up for anymore. You know, this was a natural occurrence that the body is saying, I'm ready to to not have any more children. And the first thing that it's going to do, it's going to begin to decline fairly rapidly in the production of the hormone called progesterone. Now, if you look at that word, That word progesterone comes from progestation, which is the act of being able to sustain a pregnancy and to get pregnant in the first place. So progesterone governs this part of of a woman's cycle that allows for the egg to drop from her ovary and to implant itself into the lining of the uterus and then to prime the environment so that it's perfect to you know, take on a sperm and, uh, you know, have the interaction go on. And then its biggest role is to sustain that pregnancy. 
You've got to have a lot of progesterone around in order to keep a woman pregnant for nine months. And progesterone levels will continue to build all the way through all three of the trimesters until they get to the third trimester where they have got lots of progesterone. Now, um, the comment about women and their third trimester of pregnancy looks so fantastic right. that they're glowing, that they almost look like angelic. So much of that is because progesterone is such a wonderful hormone and to have a lot of it in your body does miraculous things to um, everything from aesthetics to just how you feel and your moods and your sleep and your attitude or whatnot. So progesterone is really, really at a high level right before childbirth. Childbirth happens and progesterone goes from its top point to crashing down right through the basement floor as soon as the birth is over and the baby is delivered progesterone is gone now what happens at the first pregnancy a woman if she's taking care of herself and you know doing the right things through you know trying to behave around her diet and getting exercise or whatnot usually not too much of an issue for her to regain balance of her progesterone levels again, and then be able to go out and get pregnant again, you know, within a year's period of time, two year period of time, something like that. A lot of times that's not the case though. And certainly when you get into your second and your third pregnancy, what ends up happening is that you produce so much progesterone throughout all of these pregnancies that when it crashes for the last time after like, let's say the third baby, maybe even the fourth baby, you more than likely will never, ever see progesterone levels where they once were for you. Now, what happens along with that is estrogen, the other primary kind of player in the, in, in, in the reproductive cycle of female hormonal health, estrogen. And estrogen and progesterone kind of play off each other. They, they are kind of antagonistic. One of them gets to be a little bit out of control. And usually what happens is estrogen begins to get too much, too much estrogen floating around. It's progesterone's job to come in and to raise its levels to the point where it keeps estrogen in check from doing anything can be a problem caused by an overwhelming amount of estrogen in a female body without progesterone to antagonize it. So that's what we call estrogen dominance. We'll get we'll get there in a few minutes. We're trying to get just through. This is this is the basics of of you know perimenopause, right? So this is when the symptoms begin to to begin to to show up. Is uh, now you've got a a woman whose estrogen levels have not begun to drop yet. Her progesterone levels are dropping sufficiently, even if she hasn't had kids, and it's creating a imbalance in the ratio between estrogen and progesterone. And, for, and so that ratio is getting further and further apart of too much estrogen, not enough progesterone. Estrogen, although it's a wonderful hormone for so many reasons in the female body, it is not necessarily real friendly if it doesn't have its checks and balances. And mainly that's progesterone. Because what will happen is excess amounts of estrogen will begin to, they cause all of the problems that any woman would usually have that we would simply call PMS. And this could be a woman back in her 20s or whatever. But the typical symptoms of 
feeling um, water retention, weight gain, breast tenderness, irritability, cravings, insomnia, on and on and on. These typical PMS type symptoms that a lot of times will show up for the five to eight days before a woman's cycle is because this is a stage in the woman's cycle that we call the luteal phase that is supposed to be completely governed by progesterone and estrogen is not supposed to be of really much influence at this time at all. It's supposed to be very low and progesterone levels are supposed to be adequate. So when that, with that not being there, you've got a bunch of unopposed estrogen running around at a stage in a woman's cycle where it's not supposed to be there. And it's going to cause all of these estrogen dominant symptoms and I mentioned a lot of those that also could be migraine headache, tip-offs. Um, there's so many things that can be caused by the uh, disproportion of estrogen to progesterone. And that's where most women begin to notice something has happened. Something has changed. Probably the big one will be that they'll notice that their cycles began to get irregular. And the first usually sign of ir irregularity with a woman's cycle in early perimenopause is that if she was running somewhere close to a 28-day cycle, she might start noticing that now her periods are coming every 23 days, and then they're coming every 21 days. And then eventually, she might start having two periods a month. And that is because estrogen initiates the bleeding, the menstrual pattern, the shedding of the lining of the uterus. And so with no progesterone around and a bunch of estrogen around, the body's going to have a tendency to bleed more frequently and heavier. And, it, and here's how it gets in, interesting. It just so happens that your thyroid gland that sits in the base of your throat, which is in charge of your metabolic everything, really, really your metabolic rate, because what it does is it's responsible for getting oxygen into the inside of your cells, into the mitochondria, where all of the machinery takes place and mainly fat burning and energy production. The thyroid hormone called T3, which is our thyroids produce mainly something called T4 thyroxine, but that's got to be converted into an active form um, that we call T3, stands for triiodothyronin. Triiodothyronin. Thyrone and T3 has got to bind to these receptor sites on your cells to be able to get into the cell to tell the mitochondria that, hey, I'm here to oxygenate you, to give you everything you need to burn stuff, burn calories, burn fat, produce more energy, more ATP, all of this kind of stuff. Well, it just so happens that estrogen and T3 compete for the same binding sites on your cells. If you're in an estrogen dominant state and thyroid hormone levels are looking normal on the blood test that your doctor ran and you're still developing symptoms of your skin's getting dry, you're more constipated, you can't lose weight no matter what you do, you're gaining weight um, consistently, even if you're improving your diet, you're having more problems staying asleep at night, especially between one and three o'clock in the morning, all of these symptoms that we would be considered to be hypothyroidism are beginning to show up. And it's because T3 is coming around these cells and it can't find anywhere to park the car. All of the, the garage spaces has been taken up by estrogen. 
So you got plenty of thyroid hormone in your bloodstream. So it looks like on a test that your thyroid's doing just fine, but you know you're not doing fine. So this is where it gets frustrating with, with doctors who don't want to look really deep dive this because they don't particularly are not going to take this any further. They're going to go, you don't have a thyroid problem, even though you have all the symptoms of that, but it shows right here on your test that your TSH normal is level and your T4 level is normal. So we're not dealing with the thyroid problem. Then to complicate it more. So progesterone we talked about. Now you don't have very much progesterone around to be able to antagonize that estrogen, which would have freed up more of these bind, these receptor sites on the cells for the T3 to get into, but it can't do that because there's not enough around. Well, this whole process is what the body, the body interprets this as a stress. Now it's not a huge stress, but it's a stress to the point that, that the body is always looking for how are we going to manage something that's not functioning as well as it should and it starts to say, okay, well, somebody's going to have to pick up the slack and do more work than you usually should do because of this problem that we've got going on. Well, it will often call on the adrenal glands. And the way the adrenal glands handle any problem that has to do with stress is they produce more of a hormone called cortisol. Right. Well, it just so happens that cortisol is made from progesterone. So, the little bit of progesterone that this woman now has in her mid-40s, going into her late 40s, is being robbed by the adrenal glands to make cortisol out of, which is increasing just the presence of cortisol in the bloodstream. Now, that's going to make that's making the estrogen dominance and the estrogen to progesterone ratio even further apart now, because you're robbing your progesterone to make cortisol. Cortisol is now pumping through the bloodstream. We all know that cortisol is like, if you're trying to lose weight, cortisol is, you know, slamming on the emergency brake in your car while you're driving down the highway. It's going to put fat burning to a halt because cortisol was designed evolutionary to be a response to thinking that something major and dangerous is happening to you. That you might be being, you know, chased by a large animal, or something that you're, you know, you're fighting for your life. Cortisol there is there to save you, so it's it's a beautiful hormone to have, and you want that. But prolonged periods of time of it being mildly elevated all the time are going to increase inflammation in your body, and they're going to make losing fat and especially abdominal fat almost impossible. We just walked through this whole cycle of what it is I see on a daily basis of that it's not as easy as, hey, doc, you know, I think I'm hitting menopause and uh, I'm waking up a couple times a week and, uh, you know, my nightgown's wet, I'm sweaty and and I don't feel as sharp as I used to. My memory recall, they might present like this, but when you start deep diving where all this came from, you're going to circle back around to this whole story that I told you. And right. then you're going to have to figure out what do we do about that? No. So I think that's really helpful because a lot of people, there will be specialists that are just hormone or sex hormone focused. So then they do all the 
the saliva test for cortisol and all the estrogen, progesterone. And, and if someone's trying to get pregnant, they'll do the other hormones as well. And then there's a camp that's just focused on thyroid, like everything is thyroid focused. And so then they do all of the thyroid stuff. But what I learned in nutritional therapy school is they're all connected in the endocrine system. And like you said, if it's a imbalance in estrogen, it can make the thyroid symptomologies get affected, but it's not necessarily that thyroid is a root cause. It can actually be the estrogen. And so it's, this just goes to show you articulated it so well that it's impossible to uncover this in seven minutes with a doctor. And then also it's not just going to endocrinologist or your thyroid doctor. It's, it's a lot of understanding everything that's going on to then differentiate the illness. But my question to you then is, so what is, I mean, obviously diet, uh, our stressful lives can cause the excess estrogen, but if all things were ideal, I'm guessing that as we start to lose our period and we go start transitioning to menopause, it's okay that there's a little bit more estrogen because maybe that's naturally how we're, how we're aging, but what is causing the excess that's causing the bigger issues, the, the symptoms of perimenopause and even PMS? Okay. Well, first, let me circle back to what you started to say. And that was, yeah, in a perfect world, it would be normal for a woman's estrogen levels to stay at a much more normal level during the period of time that progesterone has already started to make its decline. That would be that would be normal. And there wouldn't really be a problem with that. This is where you have to start looking at things like liver health. Mm-hmm. And this is where diet would come in you know, and play a big role is because your liver your liver is responsible for m- metabolizing estrogen. And it's a very tedious business because there's, first of all, there's three different types of estrogen in the woman's body. And those are estradiol, estriol, and something called estrone. And each one of them plays a different role. And each one of them, when they get metabolized in, because they've been called on for duty, so to speak, that there is a metabolite left over from the chemical reaction to get this hormone ready to be able to be used by tissue. And that metabolite can be a problem. That that can be a real problem, especially if you've got a family history of reproductive cancers, breast cancer, uterine cancer, ovarian cancer, and things like that. It's not the estrogen itself. It's these metabolites of of estrogen. Now, if your liver is functioning really well and doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing, which is to conjugate these metabolites of estrogen, bind them up, shoot them through these two primary detoxification pathways that we have, and then eliminate them through the body through primarily the kidneys and the bowels, but also some through respiration, you can go through that without a whole lot of a problem. But now we're living in a day and age where the amount of estrogenic materials that are used in everything from the plastic bottles that we uh, you know, put even water in, but everything else in, like shampoo and just about anything else, all contain these um, what we call endocrine-disrupting chemicals. And they mimic hormonal activity in the body, and they're all over the place. They're in your cosmetics. They're in, again, they're in all kinds of plastic wear. They're 
they're in the cooking ware that you, you you cook your food in, and we're creating them more by the thousands each year. So women are so bombarded with extra estrogen just from their environment right. that this has a lot to do with why the estrogen dominance is so prevalent is because you can't get away. It seems like you can't get away from estrogen. So that brings up, okay, you got another piece of this whole puzzle we've been talking about. When you're treating a woman like this, you got to be honed in on um, liver function and diet. Are you feeding your liver in a way that provides it with the drivers, the nutrients that drive these two separate detoxification pathways like cytochrome P450 that are primarily responsible for cleaning out excess estrogen. So if you're eating a typical American diet, you're not giving your 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 liver much of a chance to really do the cleanup work it needs to to clear out excess estrogen. So that's just promoting the problem further and further. I'd also say that diet is a big one too. So, I mean, all of these hormones are produced by cholesterol as one, and I think B5. And so if you were to also just eat more sufficient, healthy fats, yes, some of the progesterone would then convert to cortisol if that's what the body thinks it needs. But if you just give more cholesterol, and I know a lot of the cholesterols produced within the body, but if we can give an abundance, then it can, the excess will inevitably go some of it will go to the sex hormones and the production or the balance of them too. So I would say that diet also can support, and you're not giving yourself fatty liver disease too, on top of that. Right. Exactly. So that, um, we can, we can take all that I, you know, know, and all that I talk about with hormones and say that for anybody who is truly wanting to be perfectly well, or they've been dealing with some type of a, you know, an, an issue that might be outside of what we look at as hormonal per- or peri-postmenopause stuff, like an autoimmune disorder. Right. We would say that diet is the foundation of which all of this has to start with in order to make it. But I kind of backed up and I went because I wanted to throw in there that that even though it is right there at number one, you'd also have to slash and put number one also is gut health, gut health and integrity of gut health, which primarily means that in order to fix that diet is going to play the 90% of that role. But diet and gut health are what's going to be the first step in getting your hormones in balance. And um, you're correct to say we lived through a period of time for the last 70 years with so much garbage garbage information about uh, this idea of um, excessively eating carbohydrate-rich grain-based food and switching out things like real sugar for high-fructose corn syrup and replacing real quality fat like butter and tallow and things and ghee and things like this with with uh, industrialized seed oils that your body has no idea how to handle any of it. If those things aren't cleared out, they are going to aggravate the liver. Then you're not going to metabolize estrogen well. Then it's going to provoke your estrogen dominance. Then it's going to affect again progesterone, and it's going to certainly 
tip off cortisol because of just the inflammatory response. We can settle cortisol down in a, in a number of ways. One is the cortisol that does need to be made by made by the body doesn't have to be made by progesterone. We can shunt that through another pathway. We could probably use DHEA or something like that if we wanted. To. It might be just the adrenals need to calm down from producing cortisol. So we might want to step in and use some of the adaptogenic botanicals that Ayurvedic medicine would be extremely you know, useful for. Been doing this for 5,000 years, a lot longer than the American Medical Association's been playing around in the laboratory. But certain herbs like ashwagandha and rhodiola and you know, numerous other ones can be used to really balance out the adrenal's response to not putting out too much cortisol. Yeah, I'm a big believer in high quality fat in the diet for sure. So the idea of eating too much cholesterol for, you know, poor for your heart, that's kind of been turned upside down. And we want people to eat real cholesterol, real fat. Go for the yolk of the egg, not just eating egg whites because you think you want some protein. All the real good nutrients in eggs are coming from the yolk. So eat the whole egg, eat the white and the yellow. Right. Based on everything you said, I think this is a really good segue question, but there's so much controversy over bioidentical hormones. So we know generally that maybe the synthetic versions aren't ideal. There's even, I forgot which one it is, but it's something with horse urine that I think it's made from that has been shown to really cause cancer. But what about the bioidentical hormones? My concern always with them was that we know that the pathways, you've just mentioned some that you can get progesterone to then produce cortisol, or you can have DHEA then produce cortisol or any of those pathways that, you know, the, the cortisol steal. How do we know that when we're then taking these, even the bioidenticals that they're not, if your root cause is that you're stressed or the adrenals are imbalanced. And let's say we don't even do the adaptogens. I love that you brought that up, but if we then just go straight to, okay, you're low in progesterone and that's what's causing the higher estrogen, let's just take some progesterone. How do we know that some of the creams or the, the ones that you put on your mouth are not then actually converting back to cortisol because that's the root cause issue? The controversy around hormone replacement therapy is you know, going on 60, 70 years now. So what happened was they found and you were talking about eat what we call equine estrogen, where you can take basically horse pee and you can extract estrogen out of that. And you can take it to a laboratory and you can reproduce it over and over again in a synthetic form. Right. And it has many of the properties of estrogen, just like a woman would produce from her ovaries or adrenal glands or even um, her uterine lining sometimes. The other one is that while they were creating that, they were looking into how do we do the same for progesterone? And I'll tell you all about why that is in one second. But what they came up with is there is a synthetic conversion from something that would be what we would call USP natural progesterone that you can make a conversion to this and turn it into something that's called a progestin. Okay. Now, a progestin doesn't have anything 
they're so apples and oranges between real progesterone and progestin and doctors still use them. They're starting to do that less and less, fortunately, because giving a woman a progestin doesn't have the checks and balance system that natural progesterone already has built in it. So I'm going to swing back around and try to answer the part that you were talking about. How do we know, even with bioidentical hormones, you know, what's going on with some of these pathways that could be fed in uh, perhaps the wrong direction? Well, the good news, the simple answer is this. The wonderful thing about using bioidentical hormones is that for the most part, there's a couple exceptions and I'll try to get to them. But for the most part, these hormones are used in order to create other hormones. And when you give the the body progesterone, which then can be anything, any steroidal hormone can be made out of progesterone. So you can make DHEA, you can make testosterone, you can make estrogen. All of these hormones can be made out of progesterone. But here's the thing. If you gave a woman completely bioidentical USP natural progesterone, your body would never make more of any one of those other hormones than it absolutely needed. It's got its own checks and balance. Um, like, like, for instance, we know that your body can make testosterone from taking a hormone called DHEA, right. which is somewhere between a hormone and a precursor hormone, but it's for all due purposes, DHEA is a hormone and you can give it to a person and your body can convert testosterone out of that. You could never raise a person's testosterone levels to any significant height by using DHEA because the if a woman were testosterone deficient and needed it to be up a little bit, for the functionality of a better functioning body internally. The body knows exactly how to take DHEA and make some testosterone out of that. What it won't do and it can't do is to take DHEA and and it becomes a free fall of, we'll just start making all the testosterone that we want to out of this DHEA. So there's a cap limit. And it's the same with most all of these. And this is why they're so much safer than any other hormones to use is that bioidenticals don't start producing more and more of of a hormone that you were trying to get up a little bit, but now it's just going to go, you know, crazy and make a bunch of it. Now there's some exceptions to that rule. One would be testosterone. Testosterone given to a woman in a exogenous form, which could either be skin cream or um, injectable, um, runs a real risk, I believe. I don't. I don't uh, make that part of my practice at all. I don't think that um, women should be on on testosterone replacement therapy unless there is, you know, the one or two reasons where there's damage somewhere where you can't make any at all, and this is life necessary. Okay. You know that might be, but to put a woman on testosterone is one of the ones where you could end up getting way too much testosterone, and you're running some big risk factors for doing that. Your bones are probably going to get brittle faster. You're going to get more aggressive. You're going to start growing hair in places you don't want to see hair growth, like your chin and 
your face and stuff like that. It's just not worth it at all. Could even cause the hair that you do want, like on your head, to begin to fall out by taking external testosterone. So I know that there are doctors that would disagree with that because they run clinics where that's all they do. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to stand by my position that for the most part, testosterone as a hormone replacement therapy for a female is not a great idea. And then there's one other thing I would say about estrogen. If you're giving straight estradiol, yes, you could give a woman too much and too much is not going to be really a health related crisis type of thing. It's going to be, you're just not going to like the way that feels. If you get put on by your doctor too much estrogen as hormone replacement therapy, you're going to gain weight. You're going to puff up. You're going to hold a lot of water retention. You're going to be, you know, your moods are going to be bouncing off the wall sometimes. You're going to, it, it just would not be a comfortable place to be in. So, but again, you need to be working with a doctor who knows how to dose something like that. Right. Because if you get too much estrogen, you're just not going to like the way you feel. Yeah, I have a doctor friend that she's a big fan of bioidenticals. And I've had a lot of conversations with her. And she says, the concerns of breast cancer, just make sure the person gets their mammogram or gets, you know, checked for breast cancer every but in her 30 years of practicing, she's never had someone that's been on bioidentical, whether through her or their primary care, have cancer be um, something that they've been diagnosed with. And then I think she said she also has them also do a DEXA scan in case you, they see any bone imbalances, but as well right. be safe, right, right. the correct way, I would take that a step further. I and yeah, I've been doing this a long time. But in my 30 years, I have seen um, numerous cases of especially with progesterone, with true bioidentical progesterone. And sometimes we've even seen that by adding a little bit of a certain amount of estrogen to that mixture of progesterone. And we would use the form that's called estriol because okay. um, it's the safest of the estrogens. And it's the one that, again, like we were talking earlier, estriol will only be turned into estradiol, which is the usable form of estrogen for most things in the human body um, on a uh, demand basis. It's going to, it's not going to just, you give somebody estriol, they go out and turn it into estradiol. It's going to be, if they need estradiol because they're really low in it, it'll take that estriol and convert some of it into estradiol. So We've seen a combination of estrogen in estriol form with natural progesterone actually be a treatment. There's still a lot more to know. Women shouldn't be as scared of things like bio HRT as they've been led to believe because that got thrown in and lumped in with all of the stuff that they begin to find out about the synthetic versions of these things things like the ones that are in most women's birth control pills. Like those are the ones that I would be concerned about. Like you don't hear anybody talking about how bad something like a progestin, a synthetic progestin would be with a woman who just got diagnosed with breast cancer or has a genetic history so deep that she could get this very easily 
you you see them talking about well we would never give this woman progesterone and they're talking about a progestin okay but they put women on progestin based birth control pills all day long for the rest of your life with no problem and i it makes zero sense to me basically what you know what birth control pills do is they trick your body into believing that you're already pregnant that's why you can't get pregnant and if you're going to do that in a manipulative way by using a synthetic progestin that comes with a lot of possible complications, I think you've made a bad choice. I would, you know, go get a second opinion. So if a woman were to come to your office, do you first try to change the diet and then add put possibly adaptogens or uh, herbals first and then see if they can maybe not take the bioidenticals or do you have them take all of them? What's the sort of step in your, and I know it's very individualized, yeah, but is, yeah, thanks for saying that because it is, there is no, <laughs> right. I know, I know the art of doing this type of healthcare. And I know that you would know it too, is that you're, you're working with an individual. So you're building out a protocol or a roadmap based right. on this bio individuality of this person. So it would be impossible to really answer that question, but also impossible because it changes all the time. There will be times where it is necessary to put someone on a fairly restrictive way of eating. My preference would be something that would be um, on the low carbohydrate side that would prioritize protein and actually be a um, a fairly high protein diet and then moderate the fat. When you get anywhere close to menopause, your body now, because of the declining of estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, which all have a metabolic function to them, they're part of your metabolism for the majority of your life up until you know what's getting ready to happen. You now have just turned into that you are so much better at storing fat then you are at releasing fat that you would you want to be careful about looking at it in a, in a sense of you know obesity and diabetes and things like that could literally be termed that we're becoming energy toxic we're taking in too much energy and fat is is nothing but energy now as we talked about there are great fats and we want those in your diet but by putting sticks of butter in your coffee and cooking ribeye steaks uh, with tons of fat when a ribeye's got plenty of fat to cook it in already. So we wouldn't want them to do that. So more of a low carb, high protein, moderate fat okay. diet is where we would want to start them. Then depending on the symptoms, if, I mean, if this woman really is coming in and you know, she's having a nightmare with hot flashes every 45 seconds throughout the day and can't sleep at night because she's soaking wet from sweat. Right. I'm not going to go after, you know, let's see what uh, this nutritional supplement and this herb will do for you. I'm going to go right for, let me get your mind back to sanity where you see how things can be for you. And I'm probably going to go right after bioidentical hormone to do that. After a period of time, when there's no more hot flashes or night sweats or vaginal dryness or issues with libido or whatnot, then we can have that conversation of, you want to see if we can do this without using hormones at all? Okay. 
let's begin that process and I'll show you how to do that. But I'm going to go after whatever I need that's going to get results. Because, you know, in the, in, the, in the business that we work in, Judy, if you don't create some momentum fairly quickly with a client or a patient, you're, you've probably lost them. People are not, you know, no longer are they interested in any doctor or anybody telling them that, hey, let's give this a try and give it 90 days and let's see if there's any improvement after 90 days. If a doctor can't tell me, listen, we might not have this thing cured in 90 days, but if you're not telling me within 10 to 14 days that there's been some subtle shift where you know that you're moving in a better direction than you were before we started working together, something needs to be adjusted and I'm not doing my job as well as I want to because you need to create momentum for these people. Right. I mean, it, it's tricky. So I agree with you. I think. So generally speaking, I recommend a carnivore diet, but some people say that they swear that carbs helps them to sleep better. So then for a band-aid, because sleep is restorative and there's a lot of repair at, um, at night to sleep, if carbs truly helps them, then sure, let's just leave that in for now. But we have to get to the root cause of what's really not making you sleep because it's not a carb or not carb thing. So in that case, I get it um, to support in the moment so that the person feels alleviation of pain or symptoms. I totally get that. But as an example, if somebody is sick with an infection, let's say they have mold or Lyme. And so let's say some of the pituitary or their hypothalamus is impaired. And that's actually the signaling is impaired in causing hormones to be not produced or signaled correctly. And then that can even affect the thyroid. I'm okay recommending bioidenticals initially if that will, I mean, if someone's has that much sweat, I mean, they'll, they'll want anything. And I understand how severe migraines can be too, but we have to also then get them to root cause too, because is it truly yeah, a bioidentical, sure. right? So I think we're on the same page Absolutely. with that. So it is yeah. tricky. I totally get it. If yeah. someone thinks you're not going to fix me for six months, so I'm going to experience this, I'm just going to go to someone else because people want that magic pill yeah. and we understand that. But I, I truly try to help people get root cause and it sounds like you do too. Absolutely. And it's yeah. it's so tricky though because the root cause is often slower. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I know you focus mostly on women, but there are some men that say that Part of the reason a low carb diet is not ideal is some of the free testosterone ends up getting bound by sex hormone binding globulin. And I know, again, you work mostly with women. I just don't see that to be a huge issue, but I do see HSBG go up on a carnivore diet. Do you have any feedback about that? I have a lot of feedback about that, but I'll leave it with this. that, that There's a lot of information that, you know, that that man or these men who, you know, wherever that comes up with you are, are, are not aware of. Okay. There are so many ways that we can so prevent funny. sex hormone binding globulin from binding free testosterone and keep the SBGH down. There are so many ways to work through liver function mm. to control things like the aromatase enzyme and even through the using you know five five alpha reductase to convert the d8 you know the the testosterone from converting too much into the dihydrotestosterone that and i work with the, these men when i see that i'm thinking you know you've kind of blown this a little bit out of proportion here 
Okay. Yes, there is an issue here right now that a lot of your testosterone has been bound by sex hormone binding globulin, and that makes it unavailable to the target tissues that you want it for muscle strength and all this kind of stuff. Let me show you how to fix that naturally. Okay. Because there's there's other things that are going on that's right. making that happen that don't need to be happening. And that's where we ought to place our emphasis is to get that corrected. And then you'll find that you've got plenty of free testosterone. We don't need to worry about that. What I see in the wellness space, especially when people don't work with people one-on-one, they will find a biochemical path that is technically true. So for example, they'll say eating low carb or ketogenic is cortisol demanding, or it will release more cortisol. And maybe there's a technicality of truth to there's a little bit of more cortisol when you fast for a little bit longer, but the bigger picture seeing it holistically is there's a lot of things that demand your cortisol, right? Like the estrogen dominance, as you mentioned, or, or the stress or the, the carbs that we're eating or the fatty liver. And, and so then people will pick on that one little thing. And so I think in this thing, it's, Oh, it's the SHBG. And there might be some level of truth to that, but what else is really causing the fundamental imbalance of testosterone is what I think people are missing. And it just seems like such a great story of that being the SHBG. And all we have to do is lower that. And then, and part of the fault is the diet, but yeah, it's a, it's unfortunate because these little stories seem to make so much sense logically and maybe biochemically sure. there's some truth to it, but it's not the whole story. And then people go down these unfortunate rabbit holes that are not truly the root cause. I agree 100%. So, I mean, thank you so much for this conversation. It was so beneficial. If you can share right. where people can find you and... I primarily do one-on-one consults okay. um, around the world. And um, I also work with power couples through for you know, women and men who want to do this together. Okay. Because that's always a benefit when you've got a partner that wants to share the same kind of way of eating, way of thinking and lifestyle. So uh, you can find me all over the place. Any of the so the main social medias I'll be found at the at hormone diet doc. Okay. Um Twitter is where I started and that's where I've put out most of my information and have a very big following there, but you'll find us on Instagram, Facebook, and pretty much all of the things now. Okay. Uh, my website is simple D R J A Y Wrigley. My name's so drjwrigley.com will give you all the information about what I do, how I do it, and what it's like to work with me and what the fees for that are. And okay. uh, so website or at hormonal. Um, hormone diet dot, dot is you're going to find me. Somewhere. Okay, perfect. I'll put all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much. I think you explain the biochem of how hormones work so well. And maybe next time we can talk even about thyroid, iodine, uh, all the conversions. Um, so that, that would be fascinating, but thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Judy. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you are taking testosterone as a female, it's interesting. I know a few women that follow the hormone cycles and will then take testosterone in the morning to wake up and then take progesterone at night to sleep. But the thing is, I start to see a little bit more masculinity in them. So their voice gets deeper, their face gets much more chiseled. It's very interesting. And I'm not saying that it's all related to the hormones, but 
even Dr. Jay Wrigley, who's a fan of bioidenticals, is not the biggest fan of giving women testosterone itself. So if you are a female taking testosterone because your testosterone has flatlined, you may want to look into what is causing that. You may want to consider DHEA instead because DHEA can convert to testosterone, but more so, why is it imbalanced? In SIRS clients and patients, we see DHEA and testosterone are in the tank. And one of the reasons is because SIRS or chronic illness, chronic inflammatory response syndrome actually tanks your aromatase or your androgen hormones. So it's just something to consider as to why you are imbalanced in these hormones that naturally, if everything was good, would be balanced. Again, I want this conversation to really just make you think about when you make a decision to do this or not, what is all at stake and what are possible root causes that you should pursue before just saying, sure, I'll take a pill. Okay, guys, make sure to eat a lot of meat. Take care of your bodies because it is the only place you have to live. I will talk to you later. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.